Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. We are living in the times that the Bible refers to as times of delusion. Delusion. When people are more apt to believe a lie rather than the truth. It's amazing how accurate Paul's epistles are about the time we're living in. And every generation may have said similar things, but I think right now it has never been true more than today. Where men are lovers of themselves more than lovers than God. Truth breakers, unholy. And love is perverted. And what the world calls love is closer to and generally is related to what the Bible calls lust. And so what we're going to do is not take opinions, not point of views. We all have perspectives. But the thing that trumps my perspective, and I hope yours, is the Word of God. Because God is truth. I was breaking bread with a dear friend the other day, and he said, there can be no unity without truth. And I thought about it, and I, you know, you're right. That sounds simple, but it's profound. And he went on to say, if you could have unity without truth, then we, could we might as well have unity with Hindus and Buddhists or anyone. So what you believe matters. But we're living in a time where people can say publicly, truth is not truth. And honestly mean it. Like there's an agenda behind that. The agenda is what you perceive to be true is true. But I want you to know the word of God goes beyond perception. It is the one thing in this life, the one thing in this life that is not variable. It is absolute. It's absolute. Like humanism would say everything is relative. I remember once in a business setting, because I am what I am everywhere, I have a, a colleague who I've known for many years, I won't say how many, who knows that in the, in the hollow halls of a corporate environment, I'm the same as I am here. I just don't have the mic. <laughs> but here's the thing. I made a statement that was a faith-filled statement, but they didn't see it as faith, oh. And they said to me, and I was a young man, they said, whoa, whoa, everything is relative. Everything is relative. Stay away from absolute statements. And the person was sincere. They were trying to help me along in their career. And what I found in this age, in this generation, there are people who believe lies, and it's not because they have nefarious intent. It's not because they are necessarily evil, they're blinded by the God of this world and they just can't see. They honestly believe it. That's why we must know the truth so that we don't take advice from the world. So let's talk about the most powerful force in the world, in the universe, and that's love. And let's look at what it is and what it's not. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to read verses 1 through 13 all the way through, and then we'll break it down a little bit. We're going to make just a few points, and then we will move on. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 reads, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Let's switch quick. I want to read all the way through. I know I normally stop, but today we're going to keep it moving. 
And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. We're going to come back to that verse later. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. You, you see how clear it is of what love does not do? He tells you two things right here that love does. What, is, what are they? Suffers long and is kind. Those are the two that came so far. But then he says, love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Is not puffed up is not puffed up. What's another translation for puffed up? Pride. Pride. There are, there's a community of people who really need prayer. Like honestly, like really need prayer. And this is not any, this is not a knock, but pride is what got the enemy kicked out of heaven. Pride. Pride goes before what? And we don't want anyone to fall. Are you with me? What else do, does love not do? Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. So of the things that Paul has talked about, there are more things that it does not do, then it does. So if you're going to recognize love, you have to recognize what it's not, and you have to recognize what it is. Thinks no evil. That's a hard one. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abideth faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Somebody say the greatest of these is love. Paul makes it clear there are three things in this life that abide. Faith, hope, and love. You take any of them away from any person walking the face of the earth and they're not complete because everything else is vanishing. And the things that you and I covet the things that we respect, like gifts, even spiritual gifts. Paul is making a case that don't put your trust in those things because they're going to vanish away. I don't care how well 
you can prophesy. I don't care how much faith you have, prophecies are going to fail. And I'm like, wow, what about a real prophet? Like, like a real, that's an authentic prophet. Which is more to be coveted, that gift or love? Why is it that people follow gifts and the gifted more than love? Why is that? God is love. Wherever you find love, you'll find God. I'm talking about love. I'm not talking about the imposter lust. I'm not talking about someone who's selfishly trying to get something so they know how to sweet speak sweet nothings, but they don't mean it. I'm talking about love. I'm talking about the thing that has nothing to do with what the world calls intimacy. You can love somebody. That's why Jonathan said, David said to Jonathan, your love is better than the love of a woman. What he was saying is, my love for you is better than sex. Can I be real? And for some people, the only thing that love is, is sexual. They use terms like making love. And most of the time, it has nothing to do with love. It's selfish. That's what the Bible says, love is not that. I'm speaking to some young ladies in here so that you know real when you see it. Because much of what parades in your ear as love is not love. And after they get what they want, you'll find out how much they love you. Because the thing about love is love never fails. It never fails. It doesn't seek its own. And today there are too many relationships that are broken because people are seeking their own. Love never fails. Let me not go down too far that path. Because I can only get but so real. It is Sunday morning. <laughs> go to verse 2. I want to show you something. And then we're going to go to why Paul made this point. He says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries. How many mysteries? Some mysteries. All mysteries. And how much knowledge? And though I have how much faith? He said, you can have all of that. All of that. If you don't have love, and he's talking about himself. He's talking about himself. He's not putting it on someone else. See, a religious person, sis, will put it on somebody else. He says, I am nothing. He says, I am nothing. And guess what? I can stand in front of you today and say, I am nothing. You ought to be honest enough with yourself to say, if I have all this stuff, all these great gifts, and I don't have love, in the sight of God, I am nothing because God is love. If God is nothing else, he's love. That doesn't mean he's mushy. That doesn't mean that he doesn't judge. Because he judges me, because he loves me, and because he loves the world, he judges righteously. Let me tell you what I mean uh, about that. Can I tell you what I mean so I can be clear? Somebody say, yeah, I'm just looking for some interaction. I need your help today because my heart is heavy. But this subject is also heavy. As a father, there's one thing I know. I love children. I really do. I love children. And children love me, even infants. Even infants, it's been that way all my life. There's just something about the way God wired me that I just love children and children love me. But I have three children and to those three, I'm obligated. And two of them are adults and they remind me every day I'm still obligated. <laughs> yes because they are my children. And that's what God is like. 
God loves the world, but he's obligated to his children. He takes care of his children. These are mine. For those who name the name of Christ, those are mine. And so he loves everybody, but everybody doesn't get the same treatment. There are things that Sherelle, Dion, and David can access that other children, although I love them, don't access. Like my time. They're with me when I wake up, when I lay down. They're there all the time. There's not a meal that they get, I mean almost literally, that dad doesn't provide, directly or indirectly. Even when they bring gifts to me, I fund the gifts. I know that sounds funny, but that's what God does. Isn't that what God does? Is there anything that you and I have that doesn't come from him? Because every good and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So it would be foolish for me to think, oh, the works of my hand have done this. My great preparation, my pedigree has done this. That's foolish because it's God who has given it to you. But when my children give me a gift on Father's Day or Christmas or any such time, I am so delighted because they thought of me. They could take the gift and consume it on themselves. And that's what God sees when his children take the gifts. That's why Paul said it's nothing. Because if you don't use it right, if you don't do it in love, like some of it doesn't even work without love. There's not a miracle that's ever been performed that doesn't come through compassion, which in part is love. It's really love. It's really love. Remember the rich young ruler came before Jesus and the Bible says Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loved him. But did that young man, when Jesus told him sell everything, he still didn't follow him. He loved him, but those that followed him were different. They were with him in his inner circle. They were with him in the good and bad times. That's what it's like. I wanted to say that because I want you to know that just because God loves the world doesn't mean the world is in him. And he's obligated to take care his own children, Jamal, just like a natural father takes care of his own or should take care of his own because everybody's not godly. Everybody's not godly. But we are imitators of God. And that's why we want to know what love is. Why did Paul write this? Why did Paul think it was necessary to write this, especially to the Corinthian church? Well, the first thing you should know is in the New Testament, all of all the churches, of all the epistles that he wrote to the churches, the most gifted church was the Corinthian church. The most gifted, not even close. That's why he's talking about tongues and all that stuff. They probably went to order groceries speaking in tongues. They were, they were gifted, but they were also the most carnal. And because they were the most carnal bishop, he's saying, you have all this stuff, but you have nothing if you don't have love. And not just any love, the love of God. So why did he write it? Not opinion. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, the verse just before the love verses. And we read that whole chapter. It says, but earnestly desire the best gifts. Whatever you think is the best gift, desire that. Yet, and yet, I show you a more excellent way. What Paul wanted them to know and what God wants us to know is the more excellent way is love. The more excellent way is love. The more excellent way is not your favorite prophet. That's carnality. Paul told them, some of you say I'm of Paul, some of Cephas, who is Peter, some of Apollos, and some Jesus. And I'm thinking, 
How, what's wrong with them comparing anybody to Jesus? But that's what carnality does. Carnality is like rage. There was a study years ago done at Harvard, and they were looking specifically at road rage. And here's what they concluded, Minister Sample. They said when someone is in rage, and this is true, when you're too high or you're too low. That's why you don't make decisions when you're up too high or you're down too low. They said your IQ drops to 92. That's two points above retardation. And I remember that when somebody does something, they cut me off and I get mad. And I'm like, Bob, <laughs> you're not thinking straight. You're not thinking straight. Am I, have any of you ever experienced road rage? I want to see if I'm the only one real. Have you ever experienced it? Not everyone. Some of y'all are so calm. How can you live in and around the city and never have road rage? Y'all just don't want to know. You're not on camera. The camera's on me, not on you. The camera's not on you. <laughs> I promise you this is true. This is when I was a child and spake as a child before I put away childish things. One day I was going to work and this person cut me off and they said something they shouldn't have said. I got out of my car with my size and my voice and I walked up to their window and I wonder why they didn't let the window down. It's like, I want to talk to you. <laughs> you just had something to say to me. We need to talk mouth to mouth. But that's when I was a child. I spoke as a child. But I've since put away childish things. <laughs> it's good for us to laugh. It's like medicine to our flesh. So Paul wanted you to know, wanted us to know, that there's something about love that is powerful. It covers a multitude of sins and faults. It always covers, it never uncovers. I want to say something about what it is and what it's not. As we went through, you see the first two things, it said it was, it was kind, and what else? It was patient and kind. It's two things that it was. Then it went through, eight things that it's not. And then it went through five things that it is. So it was eight nots, eight is. Go through and count them yourself. On the last one, I was a little bit unsure when it says love never fails. Love never fails. I thought, so is that what love doesn't do? Or is that what love does? Is that a question that many of you would have? Is it? Yes. So then I said, all right, how do I know? Before I get in front of God's people, how do I know? So I went to another translation, New Living Translation, and it says it this way. Love will last forever. It will last forever. So that is a clearer translation of love never fails. So that did it for me. So there were eight things that love does, and there are eight things that love does not do. I said, God, why eight? He said, you know, you know eight. You know eight. When I looked at the hearts of people after I created them, and their thoughts were continuously evil. It repented me that I made them. I was ready to change my mind. I almost changed my mind about creation. And I found one faithful man whose name was Noah. And I gave those wicked people 120 years to change, and they wouldn't. And the message I gave Noah was simple. It's gonna rain 
it's going to rain. It's going to rain. When I was a little boy, my grandmother used to sing a song, come on in the Lord's house. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. And he started building his family, and everybody thought he was crazy. So God sent rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And Peter puts it this way. He baptized the whole earth. He baptized the whole earth. He cleansed the earth. Only eight souls were left. Noah and his wife, his three sons, and their wives. Eight souls. So you understand why eight? It's replenishment. It's renewal. It's cleansing. Baptism is going down in death and being resurrected to life. So that's why Peter uses the symbolism of baptism when he talks about what happened to Noah and eight, eight things that love does and eight things that love doesn't. When you possess it, you are continually replenished. You are continually cleansed. That's why love covers. That's why love covers because there's this replenishment. Eight things that eight means something. That's something that if you're just reading, you'll miss it. You'll miss it. That's the reason we are like Bereans. We study. And I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 13 verses 1 through 13 and I want you to look through multiple translations so that you can get it. Come on, say, I want to get it. One of the things that I realized about two months ago doing a funeral is that I haven't perfected love because as I read it, I was like, hmm, do I do this consistently? Do I do this consistently? And some of the things, Janine, are the don'ts. Like, if I do the don'ts, that means I don't do what love ought to do. Did you follow that? Because if you do the don'ts, that's not love. I want to eliminate the don'ts, and I want to lean into the do's. Can you, are you hearing what I'm saying? I promise you in the presence of God, there are times when there are things I want to say, I won't say it. Because love is not rude. There's some rude people who will tell you they love you, and I'm like, that's not love. You might love me, but what you just did is not loving. The world has been lying to me since I was a child, Tanya, saying sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. I've had some words that hurt me, and for decades I'm still hurting because I believe what people said and I see myself in a way that's different than God sees me. But I'm growing up now and I know that I am what God says I am because he loved me. He gave himself for me. Some of you, some of you are hurting because people who said they loved you spoke hurtful words and you can't unring that bell. Once it goes out, it's there. So I want to encourage you when there's something in you that ticks you off and you want to say it, be swift to hear, be slow to speak, and slow to anger, because then the reservoir in love in, of love in you won't be shallow. You don't want it to be shallow. Don't do the don'ts. Tell somebody next to you, I won't do the don'ts of love. See, most of the time, we look over the don'ts. We don't even recognize them because we think love is a feeling. You get that little tingling and you say, oh, that's love. That's the one for me. How's that working out? 
I want to know what love is, what real love is, and you can't know it apart from the one who is love. There's no, there can be no love apart from God. Just like there can be no life apart from God. All life comes from him, visible and invisible. And those of us who embrace his love know what love is. And so I can give the love, Jelaine, that I receive. But if I receive the crooked, that's why generational stuff gets in the blood. If you're raised by crooks, you're going to be a crook. If you're raised by whoremongers, you're going to be a whoremonger. It's just the way life works. That's why the Bible tells us how to train up our children so that we can produce after our kind. And the good news is love is so powerful, it can break anything. It can break anything. It can break every chain. We think gifts can do that. We run to the prophet. We think it's this or that. Paul says, no, no. If you have all that and you don't have love, you don't have anything. That's why I so respect and I love the people who go out. Every, you're going to be called a well-watered vine. You shall be called the repairer of the breach. And when I, I rejoice, when I see what people are doing, touching individuals, touching individuals who don't know what love is, they're confused because they haven't been loved. Their mama curses them out. Their daddy is absent. What do you expect? Their behavior is learned behavior. And when they see something that's different, initially they're like, whoa, whoa, this can't be real because they've never experienced it. But the love of God constrains us to do good. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. It's not the letter. It's the goodness of God. People need to see the goodness of God in you and in me. And when they see that, they, they experience something different. It's a treasure that when they find it, they'll sell everything. That's what the kingdom of God is like. You've heard me say before, the church has left the building. One of the reasons I say that, Bishop Felton said last week at the prayer altar something that got me, got me ready to run. But it was all kind of people in there. And if you run, you look kind of crazy. So we, we wanted to be in unity with people who all named the name of Christ. It wasn't about theology, it wasn't about doctrine, it wasn't about color, it wasn't about race, it was everybody together. And he said, here's what we need to know. God didn't give you the keys to the church. He gave you the keys to the kingdom. He gave you the keys to the kingdom. For too long, we've been worried about the keys to the church. But it's the keys to the kingdom. That's what we take to the streets. We take the kingdom of God to the streets. That's love. That's love. Come on, somebody say, that's love. We need to know what love looks like. Because when we rely on what feels like, we get deceived. And we miss it. Is this helping anybody? Is this helping somebody? So here's a question. How can you or I have all faith and yet have nothing without love? And it says all faith, you can move mountains. If you see a mountain mover, you're going to say, that's God. That person, I want to be next to them. That, that's, let me give them an offering. But that person could be far from God because 
just like we see love as a feeling, we connect the gifts of God to God. Is it always connected? At some point, it's connected, right? But is it always connected? And sometimes, it's a one-way street. The giver of the gift is always faithful, but the receiver of the gift, Selah. Let's go to Romans 5 and 6. Because every question we want to answer with Scripture. Today is a day the Lord wants to teach us something. For when we were still, that's, that's not what I'm looking for. It says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. For in Christ, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. There's two things I want you to see. When he says circumcision and uncircumcision, He's talking about Jew and Gentile. So heaven sees two people groups. The world is divided on race and all these things because we judge by what we see, but according to the scripture, it's Jew and Gentile. And when we get to heaven, there's evidence that it's gonna be the same. It's gonna be exactly the same. John, I heard your question, even though you only asked it partially. It's a good question. John wants to know, so what is the scripture? Yeah, he said it. Y'all know which John I'm talking about. It is Galatians 5 and 6. Would you put that up for the benefit of John who's taking notes? I like that. We're Bereans in here. What did Paul say about the Bereans? They were more noble than the others because they searched the scripture to see if what Paul said was so. For in Christ Jesus, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision availeth, avails anything but faith working through love. So here's the obvious thing, that the faith of God only works one way, through love. That's why Paul says, if you have love, you have nothing. Even your faith is empty. Even if it moves mountains, it is nothing because faith works how? Through love. Anything that we do for God has to be through what? Love. Romans 11 and 29. Can you put up Romans 11 29 so I can fact check it before I reference it? Because John is watching. <laughs> That's my Berean brother. That's my Berean brother. So I'm going to ask a question first. Now that I fact-checked, why is love, are you ready for this, a better indicator of godliness than spiritual gifts? Why is love a better indicator of godliness than spiritual gifts? And I can tell you, I've had times in my walk, Bishop, honestly, that I've been duped by gifts. I've been duped by gifts because when a person is gifted, they're attractive and their anointing is real. But that doesn't mean that their, their life is godly. It doesn't mean that they're godly. It doesn't mean that they're not manipulators. 
But the thing that is pure, the thing that lasts, the thing that never fails is love. Let's go back to our verse now. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. So you know what that means? God can give me a, a gift and I backslide. The gift is still there. I can be a backslider standing in front of you and you say, boy, didn't pastor preach. But you need to test me. Does he really love me? Does he really love people? How does he act? Is he distant? When he speaks, how do his words impact my heart? When it's one-on-one -on -one and there's no crowd, does he pay attention to me? Does he really love me? If I'm in trouble, would he come? That's for not just for me, it's for all of y'all. It's for all of y'all. You know who I'm about to say for you too. <laughs> I ain't say it. Another John said it. John said to John, but it is true. The best indicator of godliness is love. I saw on, a, on an IG post that is posted by a Satanist. This guy had tattoos all over his face. It was evil. Like you could tell it was, but he was different. He was weeping and giving his testimony. And he said, one of the reasons, he said, I, I was a Christian and then I slipped into Satanism. And he said, and everybody, everybody rebuked me. They spoke, they caused me to be harder because they pushed me away. He said, but there was one couple. All God needs is one. This is the time of the remnant. He said, one couple, they loved me. No matter how deep I sunk, they still loved me. And he said, I saw Christ for the first time, and that changed me. And he said, now I tell my testimony to other Satanists. See, when somebody comes out of drugs because you love them out, they'll go back and tell them because they're like, you get me. You've been where I am. You're not judging me. You really want to help me get up. It's like the man who was walking, and this is an allegory, like as those who were walking on the road and saw the Good Samaritan, where a priest and a rabbi both walked by. But then a man who was unclean to them in their eyes, a Samaritan, a Gentile, stopped and saw them and helped them, gave them health care, gave them food. Like if you, if you translate all the things he did into contemporary life, he met all of his needs. And then he said, whatever he lacks, I'll pay it when I come back. That's a way of saying, I got you. He never had to say, I love you, but he demonstrated him. Jesus told that parable to make it plain to the Pharisees, the religious folk who were trying to trip him up, what love is. He said, which one of these loved his neighbor? They said, we don't know. See, that's when you know you got him. And Jesus, Drop the mic. <laughs> he dropped the mic. Well, an allegory to that is there's a man who's down deep in a ditch, and it's steep. If you get in Mombarlo, it's hard to get out. He couldn't get out, and people were walking by, and they're praying for him, but then they move on because they had stuff to do. And many days that happened, and then one day, Bishop, a person walked by, he looked down, was moved in compassion, he jumps in there with him. And the first response that the person gets, so people who don't experience real love, 
initially, their initial reflex is to reject it because it's unfamiliar. And the person said, what are you doing? Why did you get in here with me now? We're both stuck. We're both stuck. You can't help me. He said, you don't understand. I've been in here before and I know how to get out. Somewhere that you've been, you're able to get somebody else out. You can get somebody else out. So don't choose to be so religious that you don't want to be around them. Get in the hole and show them how to get out. Don't get in there and stay with them. Don't get stuck like they are, but show them the way out. I wanted to be finished by now. Can I tell one more story? It's a brief one. This is a real life story. Real life story. It happened in Philadelphia. A dear friend and I were breaking bread at one of my favorite spots, Breakfast Boutique. It's, kind of, it's like my office. And my office always serves fish and grits. <laughs> so as I was eating fish and grits, we were talking. And he showed me pictures as he told the story of the first church. He said, in, in, in our denomination, we don't plant churches. I, I referred to it as a church plant. He said, no, nah, we don't plant. What we say is, has God called you? Yes, I'm ready to preach. So rather than giving them the mic, he said, okay, start a Bible study. And if you start it, and God's hand is on it, people will come. So his leadership says start a Bible study. He started it in his home. And he showed, and then it moved to the YMCA. And he's doing great works in the city. Someday I want you to meet him. But he showed me this picture. He showed me the left side of the gym, the right side of the gym, and the back of the gym. All full. No seats. If you didn't get there by a certain time, you couldn't get in. He said, this is the seat, because he has a heart that's different. He said, Bob, 90%, nine out of 10 were homeless. Were homeless. And I loved them and I ministered to them. And they came every week. He said, before I fed them, I would talk to one of the leaders among them. See, he saw leaders among the homeless. He said, would they be offended if I feed them? He said, nah, we won't be offended. You know, if you do it this way. He went and got counsel from the people that other people look down on. And he said, we did it. We made it high end. We served them the best. We didn't serve them what you think was fitting for a homeless group. And they loved them. His ministry thrived. He said, but that's not the best part. He said, what happened was, God cleansed my ministry from the beginning of all the Pharisees. He said, there's no Pharisees in my ministry. He said, you know what I'm talking about? The people who want attention, who want to be up front. He said, they would come and visit and say, these people smell bad. I don't want to be in here. And he said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> See, that's love. That's what love does. It doesn't seek its own. It's not puffed up. And he didn't, he didn't look at them as lesser. They're still with him. And he still, till this day, goes to the streets. He goes to the projects. He doesn't see himself as a big shot. He does a lot of things in the city, and you would never know it, because his M.O. is to be behind the scenes. And when you talk to him, you see his heart. You say, this one is real, and I'm honored to know him. He said, you know why I love you, and you know why I pray from the moment I met you, God, we have to be friends? I said, why? I'm thinking because you know I do fish and grits. <laughs> he said, no, because the moment I met you, I knew you were real, and real recognizes real. 
would you, could we meet on a regular basis? I wanted to ask him that question. But see, there's something about love that's humble. He's humble. He is powerful, but he doesn't walk around popping his suspenders. He doesn't walk around telling you who he is. His relationships are in the light, but they're in private. Like, that's what you really know what people think about you. People sometimes say things, Brandy, because they want positive attention. We will not be a church family or a church that promotes what we have in order to attract people. We want to draw people by the love of God because we love for real. That love is real. When people come in our midst, they need to know you're loved. When people are hurting, they feel better because they're in the midst of us. That's love. It's not about programs. It's not about all these gimmicks. It's about the love of God. Jesus never did a gimmick. He loved people. And the sinners heard him gladly because he didn't look down on them. But the religious people looked down on them and called them things in a way that God didn't see him. Stand with me. May we love so perfectly that the unlovable will know love. May we love so perfectly that we cover one another. May we love so perfectly that when we disagree, we won't bite and devour one another. May we love so perfectly that even when you get on my last nerves and I only have a few left may I forever be kind to you thank you for joining us in service today we pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family to give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.